Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standard, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I was at FedEx Field on Sunday watching Carson Wentz get sacked not once, not twice, nine times. Uh, quite the showing for Washington's offense, and I don't mean that in a good way. Another first half where they get shut out, lose to the Eagles 24-8. to I've made it back to my home, uh, and we'll discuss this game in a moment with somebody who was in the press box with me, none other than Grant Paulson from 106.7 The Fan. He'll be joining me here in just a moment to go over everything that went on in that game, the stands. We'll talk about the Jimmy Garoppolo report. Do we does that? Do we think that really means anything, et cetera? We'll get to all that here in just a moment. Uh, of course, if you want to find me, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Ben Standard. Grant is at Grant H. At Grant H. Paulson. Uh, I have an article up on the Athletic about things that stood out to me about the game, and of course, make sure you subscribe to the Athletic. All right, so that's all the basics, of course. There, uh, we've got plenty to discuss, and as I said, joining me here is one of the go-to voices in town for not just commanders, but all things DC sports. Uh, he is Grant Paulson, of course, afternoon drive time host on 106.7 The Fan. Grant was with me in the press box. He was seated almost right behind me. And, uh, you know, we, we had some banter. We had some bits. But also ultimately, you know, it was a long day for, for all of us involved. I mean, it didn't. It got ugly quick and just. I, I think the second half happened. I really am not even sure what happened, uh, but it, we, it got finished and we went to the locker room and all that stuff. And now we're made at home to discuss. I've got a bunch of topics, but just first and foremost, how are you? I'm well, man. Uh, yes, it was lovely seeing the back of your head all day and uh, lovely seeing a beautiful day at FedEx field. Now the game did not match the weather. I thought it was, up until it rained, you know, really, really seasonable and uh, seasonably. You know, the fall temperatures were nice. And, uh, there was a lot to enjoy pre-kickoff. I was talking to a buddy who was like, oh, it was a blast. I tailgated. I had a great time. I went into the stadium, and then it all came crashing down. But, yeah, two straight weeks, man. It's first half, offensively, they couldn't do anything. First quarter, uh, they punted three times. They went three and out with a minus seven-yard drive. They had a four-play 13-yard drive and then a six-play, 23-yard drive. Second quarter, they had a fumble on a sack fumble on the second play of a drive that netted minus yards, and then they punted three times on a six-and-four, three-play drive. So you're talking about their longest drive being for 23 yards and negative passing yards in the first half in the net. Uh, They, of course, don't score until their final drive of the game in garbage time uh, other than on a safety. So it was a disaster offensively i don't think it was that much better defensively but here we are yeah it's amazing the the uh eagles only finished with one more first down than washington and the talk, talk about like your sort of misleading stats i uh i think philly just honestly like it felt very high school football team took their foot off the gas pedal because they were being nice yeah. i mean there was a third and like two feet where they ran a uh, basically like a gun run up the middle and not to say that that wasn't their plan and maybe it was like two yards, but you not, not that that wasn't something they would traditionally do, but you felt like they could do whatever they wanted when they moved the pocket with Hertz and through the ball. Uh, they just kind of knew that they had scored enough points, I think, and were trying to run that clock. 
yeah, it was. I, I think on that play, I said I, I felt like that was like a mercy handoff. Um, yeah, right. for, for, for for sure. All right, l- l- let's get to a bunch of different topics. I mean, and I and I asked people on Twitter right before we started to uh, share their questions, comments, or thoughts. And within a few minutes, I had like I don't know 30, 40 comments. I'll try to p- pepper those in here as well. L- l- I'm just going to start with sort of the th- three areas that stood out to me, and specifically. These are areas that this isn't Monday morning quarterbacking. These are questions I had. I think a lot of people had going into the year that all came out poorly today for this team. Now, one of them is Carson Wentz. And, and I'm not going to sit here and say revisit the whole Carson Wentz trade that we will maybe come back to this in a little bit. when we get to the Jimmy Garoppolo uh, report today that Ron Rivera had some thoughts on. But even if you wanted to say, as I have, that. Carson Wentz is a clear upgrade over Taylor Heineke and anything else they've had here under Rivera and that they needed to do something. Okay. That said, the downsides of Wentz were on display today in terms of the field, his pocket awareness. I mean, just really, I mean, he was under pressure a lot, but he did not help the cause either holding the ball too long or just not seeing anything pre-snap just didn't get, just didn't get anywhere. Uh, You know, the first two games he was saved to a degree by his own ability to make some really impressive throws. We didn't really see much of that today. Um, I, I think this was easily the worst of his three games and the concerns that people would have, particularly, like I said, about what he does under pressure, I, I think really stood out to me today. Yeah. So first of all, there's no doubt this was the worst of the three games in that even though there were stretches where he struggled, both against Jacksonville, where there was a major you know, third period lull and the second period was kind of uneven. Uh, first quarter and fourth quarter, he was really sharp. And in the, the big picture, in that winning performance, he was basically the reason they won, right? He made two big-time throws, the touchdowns to McLaurin and Dotson to come from behind. And that was in a half, by the way, where he was picked off on two straight plays on ugly, bad decisions and kind of gross interceptions. So I thought in that first game, you kind of got the entire Wentz experience of the really good and the really bad, but the good outweighed the bad by far. And I thought he played a winning football game week two against Detroit offensively. The first half was a complete mess. They were anemic. And I thought he was a factor early on in that, but he was more a victim in my opinion to a lot of what happened in their first few drives than he was the reason that they couldn't move the ball. Uh, They, I think, were stunned by the amount of pressures the Lions brought, how often they brought them. They eventually made adjustments and kept him clean and kept him upright and allowed him to get the ball down the field. Now, in that Lions game, there were a couple of times, in my opinion, where he ran into pressures or hits or, or sacks. This is something that he does. This comes with him. You know, when you get down on a knee and you propose to the girl you've been dating for a few years, you're marrying that girl, Ben. For, for good, bad, and ugly, like the, the stuff that you love about her and the stuff that you hate about her. I think and when there's they something gave in up the vows the, about that, right? <laughs> when they gave up a two and a three, and, and all that they did for Carson Wentz and the $28 million that they took on, they, they're bringing in a guy that makes life harder on offensive lines because he holds the football. In time to throw, coming in today, he was one of the longest time to throw quarterbacks already this season in football. You've seen this. Washington had a seven-sack game against them a couple years ago. Like, it happens. And, and he was a major reason for some of their struggles today, which is not to say that 
their O-line didn't struggle either because it absolutely did. Nine sacks, though, never, ever happens without a quarterback starting to see some ghosts, getting flustered, and holding the ball. So I say all that to say this was by far the worst we've seen him. This was bad. I mean, no other way around it. I mean, you're talking about sub five yards per attempt. He was missing short throws. It was occasionally too much zip and too hot for guys that were within five yards of the line of scrimmage. He burned a couple balls into the ground inaccurately. He got better as the game went on, but how could he not? The first half was horrific. I think he had three completions on 10 attempts for like 23 yards or something like that at halftime. So ideally this is the worst game he'll play. Now I think there will be a couple of other clunkers like this because this is what you get. There's a reason he's on three teams in three years, but he was better the first two games. And so far through three games, he's played two pretty solid games and one bad game. And uh, frankly, I'm not sure that they won't take that. I mean, he's not a, a top 15 quarterback, probably he's close, but this is about what you get when you get into this tier of quarterback. Right. I mean, it's, it's like with a lot of things you ultimately on some level can't blame and you can't blame the player. If you're putting them in a position that you either already have history that they're going to do things a certain way. And it's not always ideal. And like we're talking about the Wentz or in other cases, you're just asking too much of a guy, um, you know, then he's either shown he can do or can do. And we'll get to some of that in a minute. Um, I, I guess my only point to the Wentz, and I don't disagree with most of what you said. It's just that this was the first exi- pure example of the downside game for him. Like in the other two games, wildly inconsistent. I mean, you know, the Jacksonville game, they scored in the first quarter and the fourth quarter, more or less, but nothing in between. Last week, terrible first half but they score a bunch of points in the second half. This was the, there was no, <laughs> there was no uh, comeback. There was no rally. There was no change of, of the roller coaster. It was just all, uh, you know, all, all downhill, so to speak, uh, the whole, the whole way. And like you said, they didn't even score on offense until the two minute warning, essentially. So pretty brutal there. Here's a question though. I got on Twitter. At R-M-A-I-K-P asks, do you think Scott Turner should take majority of the blame for poor first half starts in these last two games, or is it more on player execution? I I bring this up because the slow starts are nuts. This is three games in a row where Terry McLaurin has been a complete non-factor for like the start of a game. He ended up with over 100 yards, but he was not even being targeted. I think we were commenting on that um, during, during the game. Uh, you know, the, the the run game has been non-existent the last two weeks. So, you know, wh- where are you at on the whole Scott Turner versus the execution aspect? I actually, yeah. So I'll say this, and I think people that listen to my show know I'm, I'm very reluctant most of the time to blame play calling or coaching. I think it's really easy. And I think a lot of people do it mostly, you know, as a lazy way of, of not having a better way to analyze. I will say though, that I definitely think that this game more than normal, I came away kind of frustrated and annoyed by their plan a little bit to be completely honest with you. And, and I guess that's a long winded way of saying I more so than normal think that Scott Turner probably needed to go back to the drawing board earlier than he did. Number one, no, no targets for Terry McLaurin and 20 plus plays. Like I just, I'm sorry. I can't have that. Now, that's not specifically on Scott Turner, right? I mean, Carson Wentz is 
read is going to take him to certain receivers and you progress through routes, but it's not difficult to, to slip him a wide receiver screen. And, and I know this sounds very simplified, but that should be part of your first 15 script, just getting the ball in McLaurin's hands in every single game. As far as I'm concerned, I will give him credit because it took 17 plays against the lions, which I found inexcusable to include Samuel Dotson or McLaurin, the big three, none of those guys touched the football or were targeted, I guess, on, on the first 17 plays against the Lions. Now, specific to this game, on the first play, Curtis Samuel got a jet sweep, loved that. On the next play, Jahan Dotson, um, or soon thereafter, Jahan Dotson was targeted. So you know, right away, both of those guys were in the mix, which I liked. I, I, I thought they needed to go to what I would consider to be quick game. It was a lot of drop back game. I don't think that's Wentz's strength. I think they need to operate, specifically in these early game to get him into a rhythm, sequences where they're struggling to protect him, the ball's got to come out faster. You know, having him drop and plant and, and, and survey early in these games isn't working. So I'd almost like to see him out of the gun, everything three steps. Uh, also, I'd like to see more screens to running backs on days like today where your quarterback's under siege. I mean, there's just no way you can convince me that a design screen against a defense that is rushing where they've got three sacks and seven dropbacks and four and eight dropbacks. I think a play, you, you hit them once, it could pick up 16, 17 and get you going. So, yeah, I think there's a couple things that they need to probably do that they haven't been. Is it all on him? Of course not. I mean, they, they didn't block well enough up front, and I think Wentz, frankly, played tight. I mean, it looked to me, nervous is not the right word. He, he's been around too long, but no, he clearly cared a lot about this game. Whatever he said all week long, we all knew it wasn't true. Like he wanted to play well against Philly. It meant a lot to him. And, and I thought it looked like, you know, he, he was not playing with a quiet mind. I, I think he was thinking a lot and, and uh, the, the results weren't good. Um, both of us have not yet had a chance to rewatch the game, but from, as I'm thinking about this, you were t- listening to you talk about Scott Turner calling the game. One thing that stood out in the opener was just how there was so much motion. We had these very interesting looking lineup uh, or, or patterns or you know formations with like the the diamond set or just seemed to be a lot of activity. I thought it was a little bit less against Detroit, and in this game, boy, I really didn't notice much at all. And obviously, when you can't sustain drives, then that you know it lessens your opportunities. But at the same point, you can just. Dis- on the very first play, you can choose to do something. And even right. in terms of the idea of like targeting Terry McLaurin, I, I mean, I don't know, throw a screen to him or, or like, yeah. you know, it's not like Washington didn't know that AJ Brown and Devonta Smith were going to get the ball. They did. <sighs> Amon Sam Brown last week. He did. I mean, at some point you just have to choose to do something, but I, I, I did you know, have you felt the same way that, the last yeah, two a little games. bit. Yeah. And, and actually, it's funny you say that I'm looking forward to because something in real time that I had thought um, I want to see if that's the case when I go back and watch. But your, your point that I think is best made is their first play of the game was that jet sweep that went for 15 yards. And it would anecdotally feel based on how they were rushing like that would have worked a couple of other times. Right. Because, you know, when you're coming downhill as a pass rush like that and there's blood in the water. And you've got a wounded quarterback, essentially, who's now just seen ghosts. I mean, everybody's racing to get to the QB. And we've seen games like that here. 
I remember a four sack game from Brian Arakbo in his rookie year where they had eight sacks of Jamarcus Russell. And, you know, I think about the seven sack game as I referenced earlier against Wentz in week one of uh, the, the Dwayne Haskins season. I think that was Rivera's first year in 19, maybe or 20, but um, you know, uh, I think those types of plays would have hit, you know, and it's surprising they didn't try a couple of more of those to be honest. But one thing I will say for Turner is I think that in this particular game, and I won't say this often, I thought they were running the ball really effectively and probably didn't do it enough. And I think it was based on how Philly was probably getting up and, and watching the quarterback, but if you look at the first half, it felt like every time they gave the ball to Antonio Gibson, he got four or five yards. And I am pro passing the football. I think you should be doing it at a 60-40 clip, at least in today's NFL. But if something's working and you can't do anything else, and if nothing else, you're not getting your quarterback hit, and every time you drop back, he's getting pummeled. I mean, you, you got to do what works. So I'm rarely ever going to be the guy that says that they avoided or abandoned the run or whatever. But I actually thought in the first half specifically, there were a couple times where I was surprised they didn't try to run it a little bit more. Uh, Gibson in the first half, six carries, 35 yards in the second half, six carries, three yards. I think he yeah. lost like, I don't know if it was like eight yards, 10 yards ten on one run. Yeah. That, uh, as, as a guy that, uh, yeah, I, 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 that was not, uh, that was not good. Um, I'll talk more about this later in the week, probably about the run game. I obviously, I do think this is where not having Brian Robinson hurts, but we, we obviously know the deal there. Uh, but yeah, just in general, it just feels like the creativity, the way to get these guys in space to get your playmakers, the ball somehow, it feels like that's kind of, I don't know. It's been different than the opener when things look to be a lot more successful. Now, part of the issue of course is we talked about this already, you got to have time to do these things. You can't call, draw up an elaborate play, and then your quarterback is under duress immediately. Uh, so this goes back to one of the topics I had earlier in the year. I think a lot of people did. Going from Brandon Scherf and Eric Flowers to Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner. Now, we'll put Scherf aside because of the whole money thing. We all get where that was going and whatever. And even with Flowers, they made a conscious decision. He was going to get paid at basically $10 million this year. Rather than do that, they released him, took no for no dead money, and brought in these other two guys for like combined seven million, give or take. The question though was, okay, it's more, it's more cost effective, and these guys, Norwell and Turner, have been good before, but it's been a minute since they've been good. They both have had injury history, and are they actually going to be good? Well, they didn't look good today. Again, have not going to have a chance to go back to watch the replay. The whole line had big problems. Sam Cosme, boy, he might have allowed like three or four sacks. I'm not sure the exact number he'll get credit against, but um, there were problems all over the place. But specifically in the interior offensive line, this seemed to be a major question off the bat. Did you downgrade too much from Scherf and Flowers to Norwell and Turner with minimal upside? And by the way, Chase Ruye now also hurt, so they had Wes Schweitzer playing center. Uh, to me, this was a question before the season started, and this wasn't the first game where I was like, I don't know. But today, watching it in real time, it did not look good for those three guys in the middle. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I didn't have a problem with the planet guard. And if if they were wrong, I guess I would have been wrong probably too. Uh, I didn't like moving on from Flowers because I didn't think it was necessary. 
but I didn't have a big issue with it. I thought letting Sheriff walk was a necessity and was the obvious right decision. And I would still say that uh, you can't pay a guard as much as they were going to pay Sheriff and, and particularly one who gets hurt as much as him. Um, so that to me was a no brainer, whether or not then when you've already lost one of your guards and an anchor of your interior, can you risk cutting another guard that you don't need to, who's under contract was kind of peculiar. So I get the thought. And let's also acknowledge too that, you know, I know injuries are no one's fault and you can't account for them, but Chase Roulier was coming back from a serious injury and we really didn't know what he was going to be. He was outstanding before he got hurt, but by all accounts, that was a very, I remember talking to you about this, this off season, that was like a legitimately serious injury. Yeah. He wasn't a part of the program in the off season and was slow to start at camp because of the pup list. So I mean, you had two new guards and a center situation that was kind of up in the air. By the way, the backup center is still out. He's towards Achilles last year. So they were already down that to boot. Exactly. So all of that is to say that, yes, right now, the interior of the offensive line is a big problem. My personal belief philosophically kind of as a bigger picture thought, Ben, is that I can mask that. I can coach around that. I'm not going to lose football games because my interior of my offensive line struggles. Um, now, if, if, if those guys can't hold up at all five and seven step drops, then what you saw today is going to happen and you will lose, but that's pretty rare. And I think that'll be the minority. Uh, they had some problems against the lions. It was mostly off the edges. And that's a team that is very blitz happy. The Eagles do a lot less of that. Um, but in the grand scheme of the rest of the season, am I overly concerned about the interior of the offensive line? I'm not. I would put that much lower on my list than a lot of the things about the defense, to be honest with you, than I am even about um, some other things on the offense, honestly. Uh, just because I – and maybe I'll be proven wrong here, but my own philosophy, call me Jay Gruden, call me Mike Shanahan, guards don't keep me up at night. You know, it's just – on, on my pantheon, that's pretty low on my list. So so here's what I would say to that. If we started a team from sort of scratch or could plan it out and you had to allocate money or assets, I'm with you. Guards would be fairly low on my list. Part of the issue, though, here is who are the two guys that they brought in? It's not that they scoured the universe and came up with, we, you know, they didn't money ball this and determine that these two guys, based on the money they were going to pay, will give them a pretty good value. They picked, instead, they picked two guys who used to play at Carolina. And I'm not saying that they can't play again, haven't gone back to watch the tape. It's not, all, you know, but at the same point, they picked from an incredibly tiny pool that these were the guys that came up with. Right. So that's why to me, I think there is more scrutiny on the situation. Furthermore, you already have Wentz. If you're going to make the Wentz thing work, you've got to know what do we, or you have to think, what do we have to do to help this thing? Because if we don't help him, then we're being, naive right and this is where the interior offensive line comes into play you know Carson Wentz has as you said before part of the Wentz package is he can be get flustered to a degree under pressure well then maybe you need to invest a little more in your offensive line maybe you spend like uh, uh, they spent a seventh round pick on Chris Paul uh, you can't you can't address every need but I'm just saying they spent a seventh round pick on Chris Paul I don't know. Did, did they do what else did they do? They didn't do anything else on the offensive well, line. But, and this is so, first of all, I think you're making good points. But 
that you could say this about a lot of positions. Like, sure, it is hard now, and this is not second guessing for me because this is stuff I screamed about all offseason. But as it is materializing and it is going the way that we all worried it might at certain positions, you kind of say, what was the logic or what was the plan? What was the, right. the reason for that? I still remember, I mean, Rivera must have said 10 times in different interviews this offseason when asked about why this team would be great for a quarterback uh, that, that's looking for a home and, and kind of making his case that PFF, I think he was citing, if yes. memory serves, had ranked them the number six line in the league. Yes. But then they subsequently moved on from two of the guys that made them the number six line in the league. And he kind of kept mentioning that even after they went and got Wentz. Well, your best lineman was Scherf, who, by the way, is their only All-Pro since the 90s as a first-team All-Pro on either side of the ball. Their last All-Pro before him was a punter in 96. They met her. He's gone. And then Flowers was gone. So it was kind of odd that they were, like, celebrating how good their line was last year while changing 40% of it and hoping that when Chase Roulier came back at center, he would A, be himself again, and B, stay healthy this time around. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think there's something to that. I guess my point is I only have so much ammunition of areas that I can beat them up on, and I just care less about that one. But you're right. You go get Wentz. It has to work. You have no choice but to make this thing a success. You've got to do everything you can to help him. I just think that dumping assets into receivers is a better way to do that, which they've done with Samuel and Dotson and re-upping McLaurin and keeping him around. Dumping assets into tight end can be very beneficial. To a lesser extent, they've done that. I think you need to shore up your tackle spot. They have addressed that with a second-round pick and two contracts for Charles Leno. So I mean, you're, you're not going to be able to spend everywhere. But your, your point you made that hit home for me is the Commanders one. Because that, you can talk about a lot of positions. Like, yeah, they went and got two guys who were Panthers, and it did feel like the talent pool, that the box that had to be checked was, can you play, yes or no? And if they say yes, and then did you play for me in Carolina? And the answer is yes. Now you're eligible to be signed by Washington. And those were kind of like the two moves they made for a while. Like, I don't want to say they were marquee moves by any means, but they were kind of priority moves. Like they sought those guys out and they went and got them, especially Norwell. Norwell was the first guy they brought in and interviewed and the only guy they really talked to for a week or so into free agency, it seemed like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, at OCON119 asked, any realistic chance to improve the interior offensive line? We'll come to that in a second. And then he says, Matsko seems like an excellent coach, but can't make up for lack of ability. I guess the two questions here would be, and look, I, the, you know, I think Schweitzer has generally done pretty well. He's also been was coming off an injury himself before he had a play, so we don't know, you know, uh, under other circumstances, would he have even been playing? Right, it, probably not. I don't know if Chase Rie was healthy, so maybe he wasn't one hundred percent. They did sign Nick Martin recently, a guy who's had some experience, but you know, a journeyman type. Here's my one thought, and this is maybe too long, or we don't probably need to bounce here quickly, but during training camp, they got so beat up at one point that they had Cosme move to guard and they put Cornelius Lucas at tackle. And there are people who think that Sam Cosme's best position long-term is guard. Um, I don't know if you saw it. I know we haven't had a chance to go back and look. Um, our friend Nikki Jabala at the Post put together a, a quick video showing all the nine sacks. 
I, I looked at it really quickly. It, boy, it looked like Sam Cosme may have gotten beat five times for, on sacks. Um, everybody had problems. I kind of wonder on some level if the Trey Turner or Norwell thing is kind of dicey. Do you move Cosme to guard, put Lucas at tackle, who's been solid whenever he's had to play before, and just go with your best five? Uh, again, there's bigger things to deal with, but at the same point, they got to figure out a way to make this line better to help Wentz because other, other people, uh, George Carmi also was asking, like, how much is this Wentz versus the line? And we already addressed that. I think that's something to consider. It's uh, You got to do something here. And, and, and so far the last two games, it has not looked good enough. Yeah, I would absolutely consider that uh, if this continues. You know, you, you give it probably another game or two. Um, and the reason for that is not panic or I, that I think Cosme can't play or anything like that. But it's kind of an endorsement of Cornelius Lucas, frankly, who has been good, as you said, when he played. And uh, the philosophy of just playing your best lineman. Like, look, you're, in my opinion, in a mode now where – you need to win football games. You're in your three if you're Ron Rivera. <clears throat> you got to figure this thing out. They are operating, in my opinion, as if, you know, they got a couple of years still ahead to kind of build this thing up slowly. I mean, I actually mentioned this in Rivera's press conference. I asked him a question about this. So they have gone out. I'm, I'm answering your question in, in this way. They have gone out now with the problems they had at corner and the problems they had at defensive tackling whenever they've kind of needed something. And they have signed these neophyte dudes who are young guys who haven't played, right? Like today, behind Kendall Fuller, you had the veteran, savvy Benjamin St. Juice to making his sixth start. And then three guys behind him who have never started a game in the NFL before at corner. At D-tackle, they go out and they bring in Ridgeway, one of two guys who are you know, either – he was just drafted in the fifth round, right? He's a guy that was off of waivers. My, my point is there are players available at those positions that have played in this league, that have pelts on the wall. And Rivera in his press conference was saying, you guys got to remember, you know, we got a bunch of young guys that are getting experience here, but they are deciding to do that. Rivera is making that choice. You could sign Indomitian Sue if you wanted to. They wanted to sign John Ridgeway. And, and so I guess my point is to come back to the Cosme thing. What I would do is kick him inside. Play Lucas if you can't figure something out with his interior linemen, and this continues to be a problem. Play your best line because I am in the business this moment in my third year of winning because I said for two years that year three is when I needed to turn a corner. It would seem to me he won't because I believe he's prioritizing things like the development of Sam Cosme and making sure these guys get their reps because he is – it seems to me like he he is looking at this as if this is like this four or five or six year thing. And he's just got all this time. Well, he has so always, he, he has maintained that whenever he, whenever a year starts, it's the start of a three year deal. He said that before this year as well. And to your point, if you keep doing that and nobody pays attention, right. you can kind of get, you can kind of get away with always kicking the can down the road, but obviously forget 20 years of things have gone on here just recently under him. It's like, well, okay, but when are you go? When is the the point? I, I couldn't agree with you more. And this, this brings up to let's get to the defense because my point I was making there was in terms of a preseason thought was the depth on all three levels of the defense was highly questionable. At least on the defensive line, you had the guys, you know, a bunch of guys who were here last year. You know, your your Shaka Tonys, your Casey Two Hills. They add FAL bottom of the draft, Fedarian Mathis. All right, you know, th- th- there's no like proven 
stud, but okay, there's something there maybe we they can work with. And, and some of those guys have been fine. Of course, they've just been incredibly beat up on the line. They were uh, of the nine linemen that started the year for them, four were injured and out of this game. And they're playing guys who just got picked up. So that was kind of a mess. Linebacker, as we've discussed many times, Kate Cole Holcomb, Jamin Davis, and then I have no idea. And Jamin Davis, we're not, we're not going to talk about him today, but he obviously had struggles the first two games and they didn't even have any really way to turn of note. And then you get to the cornerback spot and you just mentioned it. Like the idea that you've got, you know, William Jackson who didn't play today because of a back injury, Kendall Fuller, who did not play great today from what I could see. And St. Juice actually did have a, I think a decent game. And then you have two rookies and a second year in player in Rashad wild goose who ended up starting today with Jackson out prior to today's game in seven career games you i don't know maybe you know this you know how many defensive snaps rashad wild goose played in seven career games i would say zero but i don't know one in the first four plays philly uh targeted him down the field got a 23 year 23 yard pass interference he later gave up had a 17 yard pass interference um uh, again, other people got beat plenty. Devontae Smith was amazing, beating everybody. You know, AJ Brown was good. But, like, you knew this was coming. There would be a day, a back injury, a sprained ankle, or just maybe you need somebody else. And they're turning to guys who are completely inexperienced. And by the way, there are two players on the practice squad who have experience in Danny Johnson and Corn Elder, who they played high rotation all summer. I get why, like, transactionally, it was they couldn't really bring them up because you can only bring up two guys from the practice squad each week. They needed the defensive lineman, clearly. But what was the point? You have these guys around all summer. You clearly don't think that they are good enough to even have brought them back up at some point here to go instead with these guys who claimed off waivers. Where Where was the urgency to go do something I don't know, at any point during this offseason. Like you said, there are still vets out there now, I'm sure. I don't have a list in front of me who can play. So this, to me, this is like inexcusable to have put yourself in a position where nowhere disrespected Rashad Wild Goose. Maybe he turns into something. But like you had to play a guy who has had one career defensive snap against a high-powered offense in the Eagles. I, that is dereliction of duty when it comes to roster composition. It, it's roster mismanagement. I mean, at its finest. I mean, that's that's what it is. On cut down day, I think I was talking to you about this, but if not, it was somebody else uh, who I complain to about things occasionally. And on cut down day, they cut down to their four corners, including seventh round pick Christian Holmes, who, as evidenced by the usage and what their plan was today, they don't feel is necessarily ready for major reps at cornerback. Right. I think he's like special teams, like Nate Katzer pointed him out at one point, right. which is fine, but yeah. We're no, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But my point is they cut down to four corners, and then they went out moments after that the next day and signed two guys who had just been cut by teams that weren't particularly good. Then you fast forward to week three, and those two guys are immediately thrust into duty here on the field. Again, someone needs to explain to me why they don't ever sign anybody who has played before, why they don't add players 
who have had success. I, I you know, go back to the McLuhan days when they would bring someone like off the street midweek that would have to play or whatever. It'd be Mason Foster, who, who had 100 tackles the year before or whatever, and would go on to lead them in tackles a couple times. They keep signing these 22 and 23-year-old guys. And I don't know if, if, if they really think maybe, you know, who knows? Fast forward three years, maybe Rashad Wild Goose is awesome. I have no idea. But this is what they're doing at almost every position whenever they have a problem. They, they're signing guys who are on other practice squads or who are undrafted free agents or late round picks the last couple of years who are kind of kicking around. I just don't really understand that philosophy. Now, you, you will be able to say at the podium that you're young, and I'm sure their average age is younger right now today than it was on this, the first day of training camp. That doesn't put some Trisket crackers in my stomach. Like, I don't really quite understand exactly how that's benefiting you. And I would reiterate one more time, if I may, that it's the third year of this program. That should matter a little bit. Like this is not a month into Rivera's tenure where you, you should be adding as many 22 year olds as possible. I mean, he is going on, I believe this will be his fifth straight season. If he doesn't have a winning season uh, that, he, that he's had a losing record dating back to Carolina, you're talking about, three winning records in 11 years as a head coach. And this is year 12 for him. And that's the coaching part that I think he's better at than the GM part, but like it's time to garner results. And, and I don't see how Ridgeway or wild goose or these, these random guys are going to help you do that. Which isn't to say that when you go out and sign Dante Whitner in season or some of the veterans they have over the years, that those guys are all great. But at least, you know, it, it might improve communication. They're guys that have seen stuff before. Well, also, we're in an era where you have a 16-player practice squad. You have opportunity. And you can put veterans on that practice squad, by right. the way. So either way, either have the vets there or have your guys there. I mean, they obviously do have a bunch of different players there. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. By the way, can I just, like, a quick thing, and then we'll move on to a different topic? The – Today was the day that we can officially say that David Bada can't play in this league because if he could play, they've had him three years now, I think, on this international pathway program. And it's fine. You had this sort of quasi extra spot all this time to get him developed. Well, guess what? You're picking up dudes off the street to play defensive line. If he can play at all, why would you not play him? By the way, even if everybody's healthy, you tell me who the fourth defensive tackle is. I guess it's the, this guy Ridgeway who, you know, looks like he could be an interesting player, but he was just cut by Dallas. He's a rookie. Like, okay, you can't have, you know what I mean? You can't have uh, David Bada. So clearly, whatever he is, they don't buy that he can help them anytime soon. Otherwise, he would have been active today and you just worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, there, There's my, there's the David Bada rant. You didn't know it was coming, Grant. Well, I uh... Someone had to say it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, literally no one had to say it ever, but I do like it. And it's true. And it's, it's not personal against him. It, your point is just, look, they had an extra spot. They've been using it for that reason, but we could put in Sharpie now that, that, that this is not going anywhere. Essentially. Right. Right. I mean, you know, even Samus Reyes played last year when, uh, you know, he had never played football, but okay. Um, let's, oh, let's get to some other things. 
what did you make now we're, we're in the press box so we can see everything but it's a little hard to hear the glass the glass is closed and it's a little you know kind of thick but we can hear and see enough clearly the eagles fans showed up uh the according to the the uh the the, the account by the team the the paid attendance was 64,000 to change which based on the fact that they've keep lowering the capacity effectively as a sellout on some level I don't know what percentage of Eagles fans were there. You tweeted out a picture earlier of a, a shot of the stand that was just littered with green. There were various points where Carson Wentz was getting booed. Various points where, like, you hear the chance of defense and realize Washington has the ball. All these kinds of things. What did you make of the fan situation today? Was not surprised. Uh, Philly fans always come to FedEx Field. It's not a difficult drive at all. Right. In fact, I go to Philly for games almost every year. Uh, even if I'm not traveling with the team generally, because uh, it's easy. I mean, it, it on a Sunday morning to drive from here to Philadelphia on 95 generally takes sub two hours. You're, you're going 70 most of the way. So they come down here in droves by the thousands. On top of that, they were they had billboards up and they were trying to spread the word that they wanted to come down here to make Carson Wentz miserable because um, well, that that's what Philly fans do. So uh, they they put together uh, bus trips by the thousands, and you knew this was going to happen. Uh, in addition to that, I thought as great as the crowd was against the Jaguars and as dominant burgundy and gold as it was, like 90-10, no one really knows Jaguars fans around here. They're not going to travel a whole lot. And it was also the first game of a season, the first game of an era, the first game of this team. For a lot of reasons, there was some intrigue and appeal that led to, I think, a spike in local interest to go to the game. The honeymoon was over, though. Like, we have come back home now, and this is the first time that we are interacting in our house after we've unpacked and, and gotten back. And so th there weren't going to be nearly as many people going to FedEx Field that are fans locally as there were in game one. So this was a confluence, kind of a sum of all fears uh, that this was going to be, I thought, maybe 50-50. It was going to be bad. And it was not that. It, there were more Eagles fans than Commanders fans, in my opinion. I don't think it was particularly close. I've gotten several pictures from people at the game sent to me who were surrounded by Eagles fans. You know, I, I, one guy was arguing with me earlier today about, you know, how the home side of the, the stadium was actually a lot of burgundy and gold. And I stopped the guy and I said, this is not a college game at a neutral site. Uh, the home side versus the road side. Right, the whole thing is the home side. Is an issue, you silly goose. You ever shot a wild goose? <laughs> Listen to me here. I mean, seriously. He's like, well, the, the road side looked bad, but the home side. No, no, no. Stop what you're saying, crazy person. It's the whole the whole stadium is the home side. It's yeah. FedEx Field. So, yes, half of the stadium was all green and then half was a bunch of burgundy and gold in the lower bowl. But I think it was probably 60, 40 Eagles fans. Uh, and it was a lot more than that at the end of the game when many of the, the locals had started headed for the exits. And that's where that picture I posted was from. It's going to be in the Washington Post tomorrow, I believe. I don't know. But it's basically like 90 nine Eagles fans. And then there's this one guy wearing a burgundy Jersey who's like staring up into the air, wondering and contemplating why he was there and his recent life choices. And I mean, it was, just, it's just art, you know, it's just like it describes everything that was that day. Um, really, really eloquently, but it's sad, man. I, I do. I feel for the fans that went uh, because, you know, you, you have a great tailgate. Meat tastes great, you know, off the grill. Everything's going well. But 
eventually that game's either going to make your day good or bad. And it didn't make it better. It did. It did not on any, on any level. Uh, unless you have something else to, to get into on the game, which we haven't addressed, I'll switch to a different topic. Anything else with the game you feel compelled to, we, of course you can save your thoughts for your you know radio show tomorrow. The people will be tuning into, but. Um, I would just say, I think Deron Payne has been great. I think he's really been good early this season. Uh, John Allen, who's playing hurt, I think he's probably more ding than people think, did some really good things, I thought, early in the game. In fact, the commander's run defense in general deserves a lot of credit because I expected that they would get completely gashed, and they allowed, if you count Hurts as well, who they did a really good job containing largely uh, as a rusher, 30 attempts for 70 yards. I actually thought that was they had a really good plan, and they executed it. Uh, Payne obviously had the safety where he just kicked the guy's ass in front of him and then made a tackle in the end zone. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he's been really good. He's three games into a season where uh, he, he's it's contract year for him. He's going to get paid a lot of money probably from somebody else. Um, but I, I like what he's doing. Yeah. And I mentioned St. Juice before I, I, you know, everybody in the secondary got burnt a bit, but he, I thought seemed to have the most pass defenses um, throughout. All right, let's get to this other thing. Uh for those who didn't see Ron Rivera's press conference, he wasn't particularly animated. You know, he was obviously not happy, but he was kind of just more taking calm than you expected. I thought he was like really docile. Yeah. You know, his moods can be kind of all over the place, but I think, you know, sometimes you have to know like, Hey, what, 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 what am I, what can I say? You know, it's like uh, when, <laughs> when Amon Ra- Brown, for whatever the reason, picked on Deami Brown last right. week and Deami Brown tweeted, all right, what am I going to say? I mean, you know, I'm not doing much. Rivera couldn't say too much, but he did say he did get animated on one topic that had absolutely nothing to do with what had just transpired over four quarters. And that was an ESPN report from earlier this morning from Adam Schefter effectively saying that Washington had the parameters in place for a deal with the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo, but that ultimately Garoppolo's shoulder situation he was injured, scuttled the deal, and obviously Washington moved on to Wentz. We'll, we can both cut, share what we think of that. But like anyway, so Rivera is asked about this. And he, his, this is what he said, quote, you guys, that was a bullcrap report just so everyone, everybody understands that. By the way, he said bullcrap. I'm not being, you know, uh, I'm not editing him here. Uh, okay, I didn't talk to anybody about that. I'm not sure we're that all came from i'm disappointed that came out like that especially in today's game i really am because i didn't talk to anybody about jimmy garoppolo the timing is what really upsets me and he he later um gets up with this again he says quote yeah we're getting ready to play philadelphia come on that's what i'm disappointed in i really am because again think whatever it is for whatever reason does it really have to get out or can they wait until we finish our game and then come out i'm just disappointed it got out a uh, couple things there. One, again, that's the most thing he got most animated about the most. All he had to say was, hey, guys, we just lost a big game. I'm not thinking about anything else other than how to make this team better. Boom, we're done. Two, um, <laughs> the idea that you're like, he says at the end, I'm just disappointed it got out. He's mad about the timing, not that it got out, only leads to more questions about, well, wait. Was, was there actually a deal in place for Garoppolo? Um, and we can get into more of that, but 
that was odd to me, of course, when you say he was docile and then he got, which is true, and then he gets animated over things, something that had nothing to do with the game. No, he pounced on that question. I mean, he was like hoping that it was asked. And he, I mean, the, the, the energy raised and the passion. I mean, he suddenly was super engaged and he had prepared to answer that, obviously. And I think they're telling people, I would assume, uh, based on some of the, the tweets and things I've seen out there, that, that it isn't true from their perspective. Now, Schefter isn't making this up, so who told him that and why? Obviously, Rivera thinks there was some kind of nefarious thought process by whoever leaked it because of the timing before the game with Wentz playing the Eagles, what have you. I have no idea how and why we got there, um, but it, it makes a lot of sense to me, frankly. I mean, he was one of the quarterbacks that were available. The timing checks out because we know that they really – in earnest, started talking about a Wentz trade at the Combine. Rivera's even mentioned to you and others about this cram session that they had in the uh, booth in Indianapolis at the Combine watching all of his film. I don't know that it matters at all, right? I mean, that's why I was surprised he, he engaged on it to, to any extent because Wentz is here and, and that's the story. That, that feels like something to address on a Wednesday or a Thursday. But how hard he went makes you think he's telling the truth like it, it would seem to me like he wouldn't be upset if it was true i mean he he, he was visibly upset about the report but the, the thing that was so strange you alluded to this at the end of the quote when he said he, he didn't like that it got out and he didn't like that's you know the timing of it getting out it, it kind of that goes against him saying that it we never talked to them. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're going to rebut it, you would just say that's not true. That would be your issue. You're taking issue with the fact that they're saying something that is false, not that it got out or when it got out. It was, it was just very weird. Right. Okay. So just to parse this a little bit, he says in the first quote, he never talked. I didn't talk to anybody about Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay. Let's go back in time for, for a minute here. There was a report. That said that the commanders called all 31 teams okay. about quarterbacks. When I presented that to Martin Mayhew at the combine, he said, well, maybe we, I don't know if we called all 31 teams, but we spoke to teams that have a quarterback that could be interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, clearly Jimmy Garoppolo would have been one of those guys. So whether Mart Ron Rivera actually talked to somebody at the 49ers or was Mayhew or whoever, somebody talked to somebody about something and they should have, of course. I mean, why wouldn't you have, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, I wrote about Garoppolo many times during earlier this offseason about why people need to stop acting like he's a chump and be like, Hey, you know, he's going to be better than what they have or whatever. So there's that Two, uh, Schefter's tweet. A report was that there was a deal in place, but the shoulder deal scuttled it. My question, I think, is this. From what I've been told, that Russell Wilson did not have interest in coming here. I've been told that other quarterbacks that they inquired, that they checked in on to some degree were like, eh, you know, Kyler Murray, they, I believe they checked in on, okay. Not saying it went anywhere. I just mean, hey, what's going on? Not interested in coming to Washington, whether that's Dan Snyder, whether that's they don't like the name Commanders, whatever the reason. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, if I had to guess, is under the same category. 
Uh, so I don't know per se that there was a deal in place because he may have been uh, Grappo didn't have, I don't, did he have a no trade clause? I don't remember. I'd have to look that up. Um, he had a big contract, so he may have had a no trade. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he at least, yeah, he had you know a little bit less than Wentz, but just around the same general, uh, range. Um, yeah, I do believe he had a no-trade clause. First, Schefter, the no-trade clause included in Garoppolo's contract means that if the team wants to trade for him, they simply need to include the quarterback in the discussion and get both his and the 49ers' consent. Yeah, so my impression, I, it's not something I've looked into today, but my impression is that Jimmy Garoppolo may very well have been like, eh, I'm not that interested. And by the way, if it's a head-to-head Garoppolo versus Wentz, Wentz is under contract for two more years. So even if you make the trade for Garoppolo, now you're going to have to potentially deal with this again next year, you know, right. one way or the other. Yeah. So I don't buy that. And then I just will lastly say, you know, there's no, there was never a scenario in which the team has said that Carson Wentz was their choice all along. They made it very clear. They searched high and low for all kinds of things. They clearly went to try to get Russell Wilson made an aggressive offer. We all reported some version of that at the time. And then they made the Wentz trade a couple days later. So I just think all that needs to be said. It means absolutely nothing about this season. Just it became a topic. And since the coach addressed it passionately, I figured we should at least mention it. Yeah, totally. Um, I- I'm curious about it because I-, I want context just for my own evaluation of this front office's ability to evaluate as to how badly they wanted Wentz as opposed to they ended up with Wentz because I I think that that's significant, right? If he's their first plan or their second plan or their third plan. But to your point, we know they tried to to trade for Russell Wilson um, and maybe they tried to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo too, I suppose. But it, it changes nothing. Wentz is here. They gave up an astronomical amount for him and they have to find a way to make this work. I don't believe this is a one-year deal with Carson Wentz. I think this is a multi-year commitment. I've always thought that. That's why I was baffled by the fact that they didn't rework his contract at all when they acted like they didn't have any money in free agency after they brought him in. Um, But it will be even more strange, I would say, if at the end of this year they keep him and then they chose not to restructure his deal in any way to create more money and not to address any of the many other needs that they had, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I had less of an issue that they didn't restructure him. I don't know why they have restructured nobody. I, every, every yeah, other, that, that's what I'm saying. But don't you agree that this group is just conservative in nature with the salary cap? Like there are two ways to treat the cap. There is what I call an old school philosophy of acting like it's a hard cap and it's this dangerous, negative, bad word. And, You've got to be really careful. And then there's what a lot of these younger uh, run kind of more aggressive teams do. And, and they, you know, look at the Rams, look at the, the Bucks or the, the, the Dolphins go out and they bring in Mike McDaniel and they trade for Tyreek Hill. I mean, they, they lack urgency and aggressiveness. And, and, you know, Tom Brady had this quote I loved on his show that he does on Sirius XM where he said, too many teams in this league are passive. You know, too many teams are are worried about two or three years down the road or planning this this big process. He's like, go for it. It's like enough teams don't go for it. 
And we've seen that with the Rams and the Bucks and the Dolphins here recently. You need to just have the the stones to to go for it. And and I think with the cap, but just how they operate in general uh, with Marty and Marty and and Ron and this group, they don't seem to to have whatever that urgency and that aggressiveness is. And and I really think how they handled the cap is evidence of that. I don't remember if I included this in the part of my agent survey where I focused on the commanders. But there was some comment once about, and I, I may have left it out because it felt a little ageist, ageism kind of, but it was about how basically you've got three older guys in charge in Rivera, Mayhew, and Herney, and that they need uh, some influx of youth. And I guess to the, your point of that, I would just say it is sort of the old school versus the new school. Clearly, Ron Rivera is an, is a old school guy. Last week when he went for the two-point conversion, that was confusing a little bit. And he said, well, the math said that it was right. You guys should like that. It didn't sound to me like a guy who believes it. He's just being told this is what right. it was. And that's sort of how I am with this thing. Like, I don't know if he buys that you should manipulate the cap in certain ways. But if you convince him of that, maybe he would go with it. But it doesn't seem like they have anybody that does that because they never do it. And I'm not arguing. I don't know. I don't know enough about the cap. Just being honest to say they should or do this or whatever. I just know that other teams constantly you see some transaction that says they converted a signing bonus into salary and yada, yada, yada. They just created three million in cap space or whatever. They don't do that. If you're going to tell me to go back to these other topics that you didn't sign somebody better at guard or the reason you don't have vets at corner behind your starters is because you don't have the cap space. Uh, I mean, it seems like there's room to, to, to play here. I don't know. Um, I'm not going to get into the Dan Snyder Washington Post comment the story from the other day. I know you talked about it on your show, so I encourage people to go find uh, the Odyssey app and go listen to what Green had to say. I'll just quickly say it's a good headline. I don't think there's a lot of meat on the bone. Ultimately, I, I still question that the owners will ever vote him out, but you can go check out what Grant had to say or uh, go read the Washington Post story on that. Uh, my guy, I appreciate it. Any Final thoughts from you on anything you'd like to address? Commanders, food. Uh, Jimmy, by the way, did you see Jimmy Garoppolo uh, pulled the Dan Orlovsky here and ran out of the back of the end zone for I a safety? Did. I, my first thought was Orlovsky's finally off the hook. Yeah. Um, I think it was literally while we were talking about the Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> report. Yeah. Backpedaled out of the back of the end zone. Um, yeah, nobody cares, and this is time t- very timely, but – um, just because we mentioned possibly trading for him as well. Russell Wilson has looked awful so far for the Broncos. And I know it's a new offense and it's a you know a head coach who seems like he's a little bit in over his skis and, and Nathaniel Hackett, but he wasn't that much better in the second half of last year. And he's essentially just completely stopped running if you go back to the beginning of last season. So not only did they trade a, a lot for him, clearly, um, but they also gave him a massive contract so that's something to monitor and food wise um popeye's chicken strips are very delicious um i need to incorporate those into my life again at some point okay good good uh good good thought there for sure uh on on both russell wilson and uh chicken strips popeye specifically good good job there uh at grant h paulson on twitter uh 1067 the fan what is it two to six thirty you got it you it, it's the first time I think you nailed it. I think, yeah. Well, you know, it only takes me uh, 20 years of you doing this and me actually being <laughs> on the show with you multiple times and being on the show after and all these kinds of things. 
Uh, for that's worth, I guess I will say Tuesday, 430 to 6 on the Team 980 opposite Grant. I'll be on with Craig Hoffman. You can check that out as well. Um, all right. That is it for this episode of the Standard Groom Only podcast. Thanks to everybody for checking us out, for subscribing, for tweeting at me at Ben Standing. Hang in there. We'll see what happens this week. It's Dallas week. That's always fun. Uh, until next time. See ya.